We're going to look again at Romans chapter 8. We're not going to deal with the first 13 verses, but I think we'll read the first 13 verses of Romans chapter 8. And Paul writes, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, because it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh, they cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. And let's pray. And Father, I just ask that you'll make the truths that are here in your word about flesh and spirit, the saved and the unsaved, I just ask that you'll make them clear to us all today and that we can see where we fall so that we can have assurance or that we can see we need to get right with you. And I thank you that you'll do that for us in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we said last week that Paul's grand theme, the big theme of Romans chapter 8 and the object of Romans chapter 8 is to give the security of the believer. He's telling us about how you can be secure as a believer. Now, there are a few things we're going to see today in this chapter that could make you insecure, but that would only be if you're not a believer. And today would be a good day to change that by the grace of God. Amen. So what we saw, what we talked about last week is that once a person is brought into union with Christ, and it's in hundreds, I think maybe thousands of times in the New Testament, Paul likes to use the expression in Christ. And that's just his shorthand for in union with Christ. But once that union, when it truly takes place, it can never be broken. And Paul, we said, likens it to the one flesh relationship between a husband and wife. And he says it's a mystery. We are one with him. It's a real event that has taken place. We are really united to him as believers. And Paul says in verse 1, that you can know at this present time, he says, now you can know that because that union has taken place through our faith, that we need, as believers, never fear the day of judgment, because we'll never be condemned. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, will never be condemned. And we quoted Jesus last time. This is a great promise. You don't have to turn to it, but John 5, 24 a great promise. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has 
not going to get it, but you have everlasting life. And he says, you shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. That's your position as a Christian. You don't leave that. Now, you may cloud the relationship we talked about through sin, and God may chastise you, but you don't lose that relationship. You're not falling in and out of condemnation. And so we said as believers, since our sin has been dealt with once and for all on the cross, we have passed, he says, from the power of sin and death. The fact is our enslavement to sin is over. So we're under a new power, a new principle set free from the power or the realm of sin and death. So God has brought us into the realm of life in Christ Jesus by the Spirit of God. And it says there that God did for us what the law could never do because of our sinfulness. The law could never do. It could never justify us. It could never pay our debt. And the law could also never give us power to live holy lives. could never give us power to live like God's people. And that's what we can do now. We can be conformed to the image of His Son partakers of his holiness, the Bible says. And that is an honor that I don't know that we realize how much that is. All the people in the world, what are they seeking? Peace and happiness. And I'm saying the Bible teaches that true joy and happiness comes only one way, and that's through a holy life. And the more you experience that, the more you will realize that that's the truth, right? Titus 2, he says this, we quoted this last time. Jesus gave himself for us. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And so we said last time, and we need to realize this, the main purpose of our Christianity, the main purpose of Jesus dying on the cross was to make us a holy people. And it says in the Bible, without holiness, no man will see the Lord, right? That's what he says. So when he says a peculiar people, he doesn't mean strange. He doesn't mean like Ernest T. Bass of Andy Griffith. He's peculiar. He's very peculiar, right? That's not what it means by that. But it means by peculiar, a people that are truly his. His own special people. A people for his own possession. That's what that word peculiar means. Think of this. Think of yourself this way, God's own special people. And I think that should encourage us to want to live to please him. I am his own special person. And listen to what he said to Israel back in Deuteronomy 14. He says, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Wow, that's what he would say to us. Chosen us to be a special people, his treasure. But he says first he's chosen us to be a holy people. And so one thing we need to remember, I want us to throw this in there before we move on, is that, listen, Christianity, and I think a lot of times we try to make it this way, it is not a system of self-improvement. So it's not us determining that we're going to be a better people. It's not us saying, well, I'm going to pick myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to try to believe God loves me so I can do better. That is not what Christianity is. Christianity is a supernatural life to be lived. It's dependent on the life and power of the Holy Spirit. That is what it's all about. It's a supernatural life. 
Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And I mean, that is absolutely true. And so this chapter, as we go through this chapter, it should make it perfectly clear that without the work of the Holy Spirit, without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we would have no victory, no assurance, no life in any sense of the word, because we don't, we wouldn't, and no power. No power at all. And so Paul told us in verse 4, the purpose for Jesus dying on the cross, as I've already said, is that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. And we talked about that last time. What is that? That's Romans 13, 8. He that loveth another has fulfilled the law. And he goes on to say, therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So loving God and loving our brother is how the law is fulfilled in us. Look at the end of verse 4 there. He says we do that. The righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us. At the end of verse 4, who walk not after the flesh, but how is it fulfilled? Those that walk after the Spirit. And in the next seven verses, Paul's going to explain what it means to be after the flesh and what it means to be after the Spirit. Flesh and spirit, two different kinds of people. So he's not describing two different Christians. Two different ways we can be as Christians. Well, some are fleshly and some are spiritual, some are carnal and some are... That's not what he's talking about here. He's using terms to describe who is a Christian and who is not a Christian. And there is no middle ground with what he's saying here. And so we'll see who should have security in Christ. And who should be a little bit concerned is what we'll see as we go through this. So like I said, he's not teaching. Paul never does in the New Testament. He doesn't teach that there's this special class of believers, the carnal Christian. And a lot of people think that. And Paul doesn't recognize people like that. We could go through, and we will, I think, next week. But in Galatians 5, he tells us that they that are Christ, they're not living in the flesh. He says they have crucified the flesh with its affections and lust. And so a lot of people, though, refer to that verse in 1 Corinthians 3.1, where Paul says, Brethren, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. And they think, all right, well, he's just saying, hey, they're, they're just immature. We have immature Christians. That's not his point in what he's saying. He's telling them, it's not just a matter you're immature. He says, you're acting like people that are void of the Spirit of God. He's telling them, you're living like the unregenerates is what he's saying, those without the Spirit. Because he goes on in verse 3 in 1 Corinthians 3 and says, are you not carnal, fleshly, and walk as men? He's saying men without the Spirit. That's what he means. You're just walking like everybody else in the world. So he's getting on them, telling them, hey, you got to do something about this. So he calls them brethren. He knows they're filled with the Spirit, but what he's saying is, you've got to stop acting like you're acting. You're acting like people that aren't saved. He goes, start acting like who you are, Christians, filled with the Spirit. So there's no such thing as Christians that don't act like Christians. Now, a Christian may sin and may even backslide for a time. But the thing is, if they're truly been united to the Lord Jesus Christ, if they're truly regenerate, in that sin and in that backslidden condition, ask somebody that's been that way that's back. They're miserable. They're miserable. Look at the life of David. He lived for a year before he repented of that sin with Bathsheba and murdering Uriah. And if you read the Psalms, he was miserable. 
wasn't a happy camper, right? But what did he do? He repented. He didn't stay in that sin, did he? Didn't stay. Cried out. We heard the song today. What did he do when he's finally confronted? Oh, his heart smote him. It says he cried out for God to cleanse me, to renew me, to restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And he didn't have to get saved again, but he was miserable in that sin. A Christian always will. They won't stay backslidden. Not one of God's children. They'll come out of that, right? You don't read about him living in that sin anymore after he'd been chastised. God dealt with him heavily because of that sin, right? And he lived like a Christian more or less the rest of his life. So like I said, a Christian can sin, they'll repent, but they're not living in sin. They're not living according to the flesh. That's a misnomer. So beginning here in verse 5, Paul's going to contrast. He's given a contrast there between those that are lost and those that are saved, those that are in the flesh and those of the Spirit. So the way I want to deal with this is I want first to go through and look at what he talks about those that are after the flesh in verse 5. He says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. I want to go through and look at what he says about them and then we'll come at the end and we'll look at what he says about those that are in the spirit. So what does it mean when you look at verse 5? They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. What does he mean by after the flesh? Does he mean they're chasing after it? They're chasing after the flesh? It means that person after means they are dominated habitually by the flesh, controlled by the flesh, dominated, governed by the flesh. And the flesh is a word that Paul uses. It represents the life of an unsaved man, somebody who is ruled, his life is ruled by his appetites, and he's a slave to his passions and lust. And I know a lot of people like this. That I mean, they are clearly not Christians. They are some of the nicest people you would ever want to meet. They can be nice and kind, but the bottom line is they're people. They're going to determine their own course of life. They're going to determine how they're going to live. And no one else is going to tell them how to do that, not God or anyone else. And so it says a man like that who is after the flesh will mind the things of the flesh. And that means he'll set his mind on what fallen man desires. And that is what? Worldliness, right? He has no desire. A person like that has no desire for the things of God. And so when he has free time, he's like a homing pigeon. He sets his course for the things of the world. He sets his compass. That's where the needle's pointed, to the things of the world. And look, it's not always the same. Because we tend to think of somebody in the flesh as somebody who's a drunk, an alcoholic. So, you know, you got one man... When his needle's set and he can do what he wants to do, he heads for the sofa and a beer, his rock music, NASCAR, and internet pornography. Well, that's the obvious person that's living according to the flesh. But another man, he heads for his classical music, his fine art, and looks at the Dow Jones Industrial Stock Report. Right? Two different people. They look at the one guy and say, man, he's a nice guy. He even goes to church, too, besides all that, right? Goes to church. But what both have in common is this. You'll know what I'm talking about. They have no mind, no desire, no purpose, no affection for God or the things of God. All they both share in common is they have a love for this dying world just in different ways. Right? Do we all understand what we're talking about there? It's like I said, they may both go to church on Sunday, but their mindset 
That's what he's saying here. Their mind is set on the world. God is outside of their thinking. And listen, we were all like that. We all know what I'm talking about because all of us were like that. Every single person in here, right? Before you were a Christian. I wasn't the meanest guy in the world. I was nice enough, you know. I, I helped my neighbors out and shoveled their driveway and didn't even ask to get paid. Oh, but I did what I wanted to do. I had no heart for God, no mind for God for 21 years of my life. So Paul describes these people in Philippians 3, 18 and 19. Listen to this. He says, for many walk, and this breaks Paul's heart. Many walk, probably people in this church, in that church, in Philippi. Many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame. And he ends it by saying, who mind, it's the same word we have in Romans 8, 5. It says, who mind earthly things. They have affections and desires for earthly things. That's what they pursue. They have a mind for earthly things. It's the trend they're thinking takes. And like I said, it may not be parties. It may not be drinking. It could be their heart is set towards reading the current bestseller, right? Or maybe they like to lobby. They're, they're a social person. They like to lobby for city parks. Or maybe they're your local Cub Scout leader. You know, but their mind, they love the world. And their life is void of God. And the same word used there in Romans 8, 5, mind the things of the flesh is used by Jesus when he rebuked Peter for trying to keep him going to the cross. Back in Matthew 16, Jesus told him, he says, Get thee behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me, he said, for you savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of man. And so the word for savorest is the exact same word that's used for mind here in Romans 8.5. So when you savor something, what do you do? It means you appreciate it fully. You enjoy it to the full. You're consumed with it. It has your interest. And Jesus is telling Peter, he says, look, you don't have an interest in the things of God. You don't savor them. You don't enjoy them. You don't have any thought of them. He says, no, your mindset or your interest or your pleasure, what you savor is in the things of men, power, prestige, and position in this world. That's what Peter's thinking. No, Lord, don't go to the cross. We're getting ready to take over and overthrow the Romans. Get set back up here in Jerusalem and Israel is going to be a world power again. What does he go on to say here in verse 6? He says, for that mind, that carnally minded person, exists how? Exists in death. For to be carnally minded, it says, is death. So it's not saying that it produces death. It's saying it is death. It's in darkness. So... I don't know, it's been a while since we taught Ephesians, but we talked about this back in Ephesians chapter 4 where he says, this is how Paul describes the world. They have their understanding darkened, being alienated, cut off from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And so the picture he's painting there is this blind person walking in darkness. They can't comprehend the things of God. They are cut off from the life of God. And speaking truth to them is like speaking truth, reading Proverbs to a dead person. They don't get anything out of it. And Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. 
for they are foolishness unto him, and neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And when he says the natural man, he's talking about the unsaved, unregenerate man or woman that does not have the Spirit of God. There's an unsaved person I know and I love, I've talked to so many times. When he says they're in darkness, they're dead, in deadness, they can't comprehend. And I've shared the gospel with them many different ways, very simply. And when I've done it, many times they've looked at me and they said, I don't understand a thing you're saying. Literally, that's happened. Because that's the way it is. Until God lifts that veil. That's the way it is. So in England, way back in the day, William Wilberforce, some of you may know him, he was instrumental in abolishing slavery in England, right? And he had a friend, William Pitt, who was once the prime minister. And both of these guys were brilliant men. Both of them were politicians, and they were great friends, close friends. And here's the difference between these two men, though. William Wilberforce was a converted man, and his friend William Pitt was a Christian in name only, a nominal Christian. And Wilberforce so loved his friend, he wanted to see his friend converted. And he says, hey, why don't you go to church with me? There's a man preaching here who was a great preacher of the day. His name was Richard Cecil. He said, let's go hear him preach. So they both go in there. Richard Cecil had an anointing on him, spoke in the power, spoke the word. It's moving Wilberforce. He's greatly moved by this preaching. He's eating it up. It's bringing tears to his eyes. He's just elated. They walk out of that church together. And William Pittet says, turned to Wilberforce, and he said this. He says, you know, Wilberforce, I have not the slightest idea what the man was talking about. Because that's the way it is. That's what we're seeing here. The difference between the carnal mind, the man of the flesh, whose mind is death, that person alienated from God, cut off from the life of God, can't comprehend anything, walking in darkness. And why is that? It tells us right here. Paul says in verse 7, because. He tells us why. Because, he says, the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Enmity, that means hostile. Hostile to God. Colossians 1.21, Paul says, you were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. But you say, man, my aunt, though, she seems so nice. How could you be talking about her? She goes to church. She talks about God all the time. But here's the question you have to ask. Which God? Which God is she talking about? Because she's not talking about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> because people like this, people in the flesh, they don't want him telling them what to do. They don't want him to control their lives. And that's why it says they're hostile at enmity against him. They don't want him setting their agendas. And it says they're not subject to his law because it's impossible. Look what it says there. They are not subject to the law of God. And it says neither indeed can be. It's impossible for them to submit themselves to God. That's the sinner. That's not a Christian. Amen? Christians aren't that way. It's impossible for a man that's not saved to submit himself and to do what's right. And verse 8 says, not only that, it says, So then they that are in the flesh, the unregenerate, they cannot, another word of impossibility, they cannot 
please God. So they're hostile and they're helpless. And that's all of us. And it's maybe some in here today, right? So when we get this picture going through here, when he paints the contrast between the person of the flesh and the person of the spirit, is these people of the flesh have a mindset, their purpose, their intention, their life is alienated from God. They're living in death. They can't comprehend the things of God. They don't care. They're unconcerned. The word bores them. No heart for prayer was the way it would be. Hostile to God and helpless to do anything about it. They can't please God. So what has to happen to a person like that? The same thing that had to happen to all of us. God, by his spirit, has to open our eyes and show us that that is our condition or your condition. Amen? I recently heard this story told that was written by a man named Octavius Winslow. And the way this goes is that this is a true story. An old professor of this prestigious university, he knew this young man. This young man came in, he'd known him since he was a little boy. And he's all excited because his parents had finally agreed to allow him to go to law school. And he tells this old professor, tells this old man, he says, listen, he said, I'm going to go through that school as fast as I can. I'm going to spend whatever money it takes to get me through that school as fast as I can. I'll spare no expense. And so the old man asked him, he says, all right. He says, when you finish your career of study, when you finish law school, what do you mean to do then? He says, well, I'll take my degree, answered the young man. And the guy says, and then you've got your degree. And then he says, well, I'll successfully prosecute some difficult cases. And when I do that, he says, it'll attract attention to my eloquence and wit. And then I'll gain a good reputation and make money as a lawyer. And then, asked the old man, and he says, well, and then, well, there can't be any question. I'll be elected to some high office in the state, and I will become rich. And the guy says, and then? Well, and then, he says, and then I'll live comfortably and honorably in wealth and respect and look forward to a quiet and happy old age. And then, asked the old man, well, and then? And then, and then I shall die, the youth answered. And then the old man, it says, lifted up his voice with solemnity and emphasis and said, and then, true story. And the young man, it said, had no answer. But he lowered his head, and in silence, he thoughtfully, it says, retired. He left the room because the last and then had pierced his heart like a sword. The old man was a Christian. And God used him to deal with that young man. Went to his room. He was converted. Quit law school and became a preacher. And maybe that's somebody in here today. Got all these plans and God's not in any of them. And one day you'll find out too late, and then you've died, and then we know what happens next, right? Maybe God's speaking to you today, speaking to your heart. And it's not because he's sovereign in doing that. And it says, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart, because he's not responsible to keep speaking to anybody 
If he's speaking into you today, you need to take advantage of that. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You don't know that you'll have another time that he'll speak to you. And Paul said this, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm saying in Christ's stead, as Paul said, be ye reconciled to God if you're not. And some aren't in here. And so let's look in these last few minutes here at the life of the Christian. So one is the unsaved, and who wants to hear that? Well, we need to hear that, don't we? We need to kind of understand where an unsaved person's coming from. And that kind of helps us here, right? And maybe we need to see if, maybe that's me. In all honesty, that was me. No concern for the things of God. But the Christian, it says, are the ones who walk after the Spirit and able to fulfill the righteousness of the law. And so it says here in verse 5, they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, they mind the things of the Spirit. So just as we said, the person of the flesh is dominated and controlled by the flesh, the person that is after the Spirit is dominated and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And here's what we need to hear, all of us, that's not just true of a person being dominated and controlled by the Spirit. That's not just true of a few Christians, the spiritual Christians. Paul is saying here that that is true of all Christians. All Christians are to be that way, after the Spirit. And that person minds the things of the Spirit. So the things of the Spirit are what interest them. The things they pursue, the things they desire, the things they truly cherish. Is that you? Oh, I, I should be looking at a room full of people that's that true for them. Amen? Because that's what he's saying here. That's what that is saying. So unlike the natural man that we talked about in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the man who's without the Spirit of God, unlike him, the things of the Spirit of God are not foolishness to us of the Spirit. Not foolishness to us, right? Because the Greek word for foolishness is moros, which is where we get our word moron. You call somebody a moron, you're saying what to him? You're saying, man, you are stupid. You are foolish. And the unsaved, that's what they think of the things of the Spirit of God. They think they're stupid and foolishness, but not us. Amen? And if you would, just put something there and turn over to 1 Corinthians 2. I would like to look at what it says about what God has revealed to us by His Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, it says, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has. So he has. He hasn't revealed them unto the world. But it says in verse 10, he has revealed them 
unto us. How? By his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. And look what it says. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. And why have we received the Spirit of God? That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Amen? It says, which things also we speak not in words which man wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Praise God. He's given us the Spirit so we can see the things freely given. The world, they can't see any of that. Think of the thief on the cross, the two thieves. At one time, they're both railing. But at some time, the Spirit of God regenerates that other thief, right? And he can see something in that crucifixion the other thief never saw. Right? And he calls him Lord. Remember me. He knows he's going to be resurrected. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. God revealed that to him. That's the difference. The thing's freely given. It wasn't a mystery. They're both looking at the same thing. His eyes are hidden and darkened. He's looking at the same facts and sees something else. Right? But God has revealed to us his great salvation. That's what he should. The thing's freely given to us. Freedom from sin. Our sonship, as we'll see, with the Father. His love that was demonstrated in the cross. Some people don't see his love demonstrated in that cross. We do. His great love demonstrated. His supernatural provision. God's opened our eyes to that. The world's afflicted with all kinds of demonic disease. Right? And we get our eyes open to see, hey, God took care of that for us on the cross. Something freely given to us. Healing, that he'll meet our needs. Guiding us. God Almighty will guide us through this life. Amen? We know he's sovereign and that we pray things will happen the way he promises they will. <laughs> because he's sovereign, we can trust that. If he wasn't sovereign, we couldn't trust our prayers to be answered. Do you know that? protecting us and our families, and on and on and on. So what are, he says in verse 5 there, back in Romans 8, he says, but they that are after the Spirit, they mind the things of the Spirit. Things that it says, goes on to say, bring life and peace. And what are those things? I, I like to just talk about some. This isn't comprehensive, but I'll tell you where it begins. Here's the difference. We're talking about people of the flesh and people of the spirit. You know where it, it starts off? I heard a man say this. It starts off with concern about our soul, about our eternal well-being. That's the first thing God does for us, and it never leaves. The world's not concerned about their eternal well-being. Listen to Mark 8. Jesus says this, And when Jesus had called the people unto himself with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange 
for his soul. And the world is unconcerned about their souls. And Jesus is telling us, be concerned about your soul. There's nothing you're going to give up that's worth losing your soul over. Nothing you have in this world, right? Because the world's unconcerned. They know they're going to die. They make provision for that. But they're unconcerned about the God they have to face. They don't realize that. But listen, here is what is a blessing. The Spirit of God has troubled us about it and opened our eyes to see what's going to happen. And he continually, he does me, he reminds me that that day is coming. It's a motivation for living a holy life that we're going to have to give account of our lives. Listen, I'll tell you, if you have not read Pilgrim's Progress, anyone in this room, you need to read Pilgrim's Progress. It's a great book on the Christian life. But in the beginning of Pilgrim's Progress, you know what happens to Christian? He's like everybody else where he lives and in his house, just going about his worldly business. He's a man of the flesh. And you know what happens to him? All of a sudden, he's picked out and he's troubled about his soul, about his eternal destiny. And he starts telling his wife and children about that, and they think they don't believe what he says. He says, we live in a city of destruction, the city of the flesh. It's going to be destroyed one day. We've got to do something about it. And it said they didn't believe what he said about that. They just thought he's going crazy. That's all their concern was about him. And the whole town he lives in thought he went mad. But what had happened is God's spirit had gotten hold on him, and he had to pursue eternal life. That's the way it is. When God's Spirit gets hold of you, shows you where you're at, the destruction you're headed toward, you've got to pursue eternal life. And so listen, Bunyan, this whole story is a dream he's having. And so in describing this dream, he says, so I saw, he's describing this man, Christian. He says, so I saw in my dream that the man, Christian, began to run. And now he had not run far from his own door, but his wife and children, perceiving it, began to cry after him to return. But the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on crying, life, life, eternal life. I'm not listening to you all. I've got to save my soul. Nothing else matters. So he looked not behind him, but fled. And then it says the neighbors also came out to see him run. And as he ran, some mocked and others threatened and some cried after him to return. Was it like that for you when you gave your heart to the Lord? Start pursuing things. Things start bothering you. It was like that for me. Start talking to my friends about Christianity, man. We're in, no, they didn't look at you like you're nuts. Who's talking like that? But that's the way it works. When the Spirit of God begins to open your eyes to the danger to your soul. And it becomes the most all-important thing to your life. Didn't it for you? When you became a Christian, you must flee I've got to flee everything. I've got to flee to Jesus for refuge. He's my refuge. Oh, man, I still remember. I cared so much about what people thought about me. That was something I battled. But it's like I got to the point, I don't care what they think about me. I need salvation. I'm going to burn in hell. It won't matter what they think about me if I'm doing that. Yeah. Amen? Amen? And so that's why he says, you can't love mother, father, sister, brother more than me. You can't put any other of your other concerns ahead of me. That's what the Spirit of God says. It's a work of the Spirit of God. And here's what we need to see. It doesn't happen to everyone, does it? It didn't happen to all my friends, mine and Greg's friends. Didn't happen to all of them. Didn't happen to all of my family. Amen? 
And that's a blessing. It's a thing that the Spirit of God does. Puts it in our hearts to run after Him, to pursue Him. And He doesn't leave us alone, right? He's gotten hold of us, and we get hold of Him, and by His grace, we'll never let go. You know why? Because He'll never let go of us. If it was up to us, we would let go. But we're able to hold on. We think it's us holding on, don't we? By our bare knuckles, screaming. Ah, but it's His grace that's keeping us holding on. <laughs> we'll look back and see that. And another thing about the man that minds the things of the Spirit is he is one who delights in the Lord Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. Never gets over the wonder that the Lord Jesus Christ would die and suffer such a humiliating death for me. Like we said, we were like that person we described earlier. We were his enemies. And yet he still died for us. So the person of the Spirit doesn't just wear a cross around his neck, doesn't just wear a t-shirt cross, right? He meditates on the cross. We sing the song, when I survey, looking at that cross, wondering at the cross, the glory of the cross. That's what Paul says. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Amen? Amen. And that's what it is. You know, the other night, we let John pick out our family devotion. Well, he wanted to read Adam and Eve. We're like, we're not going to do Adam and Eve. Well, that's something else. So he, we, we read, he wanted to read about the crucifixion. Well, he said he thought it was going to be short. Well, it wasn't short. <laughs> but praise God, I'm telling you, it was one of those times I'm reading that. And it's just like, how do you explain when God just opens your eyes and you're just beholding the glory of what Jesus and realizing he did that for me. And it's moving me on the inside as I'm reading that. It's hard to put into words. And God does that. We'll never fully comprehend what goes on on that cross. And you read about the enemies of coming at him. Relentless. And yet he's still in his suffering and humiliation. He's praying for them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And you know when he's praying for them, he's praying for you. Amen. Because whether you know it or believe it, you would have put him on the cross. You put him on the cross. I put him on the cross. We were his enemies. And he prayed for us there should never get over that. Because listen, the blood he shed and the punishment he bore, that will be our only plea on that day. It's not going to be our righteousness, right? And another thing, those that mind the things of the Spirit, that should be us. That should be you if you're a Christian, what we've said so far, right? And the next thing is they'll love the Word. They'll love their Bibles. They'll love to hear the Word preached. So a person that has no desire to read their word, something's wrong. Peter said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. It's a sign of life. 
a new Christian that you want to read the Word. Can't read it enough, a hunger and a desire for the Word. When the two disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus with the Lord, Jesus preached the Word to them about Himself. It says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets. He preached, it says, He expounded and opened up the Word. And those guys were eating it up as they're walking along that road. And when he later sits down, says he broke bread, their eyes were open, they see who he was, he reveals them, and vanishes out of their sight. It says this, they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And I'm saying, I believe a person that has the mind of the Spirit that minds the things of the Spirit, will experience that burning, that knowing that, hey, this is one of those times that God's Spirit, His voice, is speaking to me in a special way, right? Those times when you're reading or you're listening to someone preach and you can just sense God's doing something in me, right? Amen? And I see a lot of heads shaking because that's the way it is person that minds the things of the Spirit, that'll be true in their life. They'll also have a love for prayer and communion with God, fellowship with Him. And communion with God will mean more than anything else. Don't we sing that song? My soul followeth hard after Thee. Early in the morning I will rise up and seek Thee. Is that you? Because that's the man that is after the Spirit, that minds the things of the Spirit. So a person like that, it is not dominated by the flesh, but that is dominated by the Spirit, which is every Christian. Every Christian should be that way. When trouble comes, that person does what? Goes to God in prayer and seeks His help. That's what a person dominated by the Spirit will do. David wrote in Psalm 34, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him and delivers them. And he writes, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced God's love and goodness because you've trusted him? And that's how you'll really experience it. When you trust Him, seeing answers to prayer and experiencing the Father's love. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And you know what happens? When that happens and you get answers to prayer, you're stepping out, you're trusting the Lord. Like we talked about in Exodus, you're in a bad situation and you see His deliverance. And when that happens, because you've trusted Him, it gives you an assurance that He's your Father and that He's with you and that your prayers get answered. And from that assurance, you know what happens? You know what assurance produces? Joy. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Nothing should make you any happier than knowing God is my Father hearing my prayers and walking with me. For a Christian, that should produce joy in their life and on their face and in their heart. And Jesus told His disciples, He said, Hitherto, you've asked nothing in my name. Well, they didn't have to. He's right there with them. But he says, hitherto, you've asked nothing in my name. But he says, in the future, ask, and you shall receive. Why? That your joy may be full. And that's what will happen. 
<laughs> oh, taste and see. We can really experience the Father's love for us. And a person walking in the Spirit with the mind of the Spirit will know that. Don't have to wonder about that. And you'll have joy through that assurance that comes. And the other thing, the last thing I want to talk about, you're going to value the fellowship of other believers. It says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Now, let me ask you something. I'm going to make this a short point. Who would you rather be with? Let me ask you this. Some worldly person that knows all about the political scene, the expert on the political scene, or just some sister talking about the things of God and her experiences that way. Which would you rather be with? All right? You know, I was thinking about this. Lisa and I were visiting a sister in our church not too long ago. I'd never heard her testimony about how she got saved and how she got filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm telling you, that's all you got to do if you don't know what to talk to somebody about. You never better around and just say, well, just tell me how you got saved. And if they can't tell you that, well, then you tell them how to get saved, right? <laughs> well, I hope you out next time you come to church to get you saved here before you come. But she lit up. She lit up telling us about how her conversion experience went. And then when she got on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it so overwhelmed her because of that experience and what it meant to her and the joy. She is just breaks down crying. And, you know, of course, I didn't break down crying, but I got my eyes are tearing up and Lisa's eyes are tearing up. Oh, man, that's what fellowship is all about, right? And I would much rather be around that. Oh, man, you read a good biography or you fellowship with somebody and they're sharing things God has done with you. That's where it's at. Amen. Amen. And that's what we're talking about. The people of the world, they don't want to sit around. That's when they leave. That conversation starts up. They're out of the room. Thanksgiving. That's what happens, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So Paul says that they that are after the Spirit will mind the things of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, he says, for the end of that, we were over in that chapter. You don't have to turn back there. He says, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? He says, but we have the mind of Christ. Mind the things of the Spirit. He says, we have the mind of Christ. So listen, having the mind of Christ doesn't mean we understand everything in its fullness, right? But what it's saying is we have the character of Christ's mind, the nature of his mind. We have a new mind, a new outlook, new desires. That's what it's saying. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so maybe you're a new Christian in here today. You're thinking, man, I've never experienced everything the Bible says, and I feel like there's so much I don't know yet. Right? You don't have to be discouraged or feel like you're less. Or maybe you're an old saint in here. An old saint. Realize you've left your first love. Let the things of the Spirit slip away. I'm really not dominated by the Spirit. I'm probably more dominated by what I want to do. Right? Now here's the question I would ask both people. Do you have a taste for the things of God? Do you still desire to walk with God and to be pleasing in His sight? The things we talk about on the positive side, is that what interests you? Are they what you long for? Do you have a heart to be like that? Someone that is controlled and dominated by the Spirit? That's the question, right? 
And then I would say, if that's the case, this is not a message to be discouraged about, right? I would say, fan the flame. Let it grow. Because here's what Jesus said. So Paul, when he rebuked the Corinthians, he's telling them, just start acting like you're supposed to be acting. Quit acting carnal. And that's what the Lord would say to us. Have you been carnal? Quit acting carnal. You're not carnal. You're not to be in the flesh, but in the spirit. But fan the flame. The Lord's not going to snuff you out. Do we know this verse? Do we remember this verse? Matthew 12, 20. It says about Jesus, it says, A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench. You're like, my fire's gone out. I'm just hot with some smoke coming out my ears. He says, hey, he will fan it back into a flame. So make it a priority in your life to spend time with God in prayer, not perfunctory prayers, but opening your heart up, recommitting yourself to the Lord, but doing it every single day. Commit yourself to spending time with prayer in prayer with God, communing with Him, real prayer. Pray to your Heavenly Father. Read and meditate on His Word. Let Him speak to you through that and build your faith. Because the more you do that, the more you taste and see that the Lord is good, the more you'll want it. That's the way it works. Right? Amen. So let's just pray. Make this our prayer for God to fill us anew with His Spirit like the song we sing. Maybe we can sing this this morning, all of us sing it together. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, and use me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the words you've given us today. and. If there's anyone, Lord, that is walking according to the flesh and they could hear your voice, I just ask that you'll grant them repentance today, Father. Just ask you'll move on their hearts and have them submit to you while you're speaking to them, while you're dealing with their hearts today. Today, if they hear your voice, harden not your heart. And for the rest of us, Lord, that we could say, oh, we do have the mind of the Spirit. We are after the Spirit. That's our purpose. That's our desire, Lord. For those that it's low, that their faith is low, I just ask that you'll increase that and encourage that so that we can be back to having the joy and the assurance that you're with us, that you're walking with us in that knowledge. I thank you, Lord, for your word and your encouragement today and for what you've done on the cross for us and filling us with the power of your Holy Spirit that we can walk in your truth. And I thank you for all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'd stand up. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me.
I cannot be silent. I'm for I cannot. 